Today's episode is brought to you by the Natural History Institute, located at 126 North Marina Street in historic downtown Prescott, Arizona. The Natural History Institute is a nonprofit which seeks to cultivate love and understanding of the natural world. They have programs for naturalists of all stripes, newcomer, novice, and veteran. All are welcome who are looking to deepen their relationship with the natural world. Please check out their website at naturalhistoryinstitute.org or head to their Natural History YouTube channel. Welcome to The Creative Convergence, an audible nexus of the creative arts. I'm your host, Candace Devine. Join me in conversation as we discuss the journey creatives take on their path to success. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast for part two with the incomparable Michael Estrin. So it was a, a roundabout right at that moment where I came clean and said, I want to be a writer. And my parents were not my, my mom was like not happy about it. She was like, why don't you just practice law for 30 years and then become be- a writer? <laughs> Which sounded like a death sentence to me. I was like, oh my God, I can't do You're this. All, how about you go and, uh, you know, tie shoelaces for 30 years and then go teach children? <laughs> yeah. And she, would, and she would point out to me that like lots of people had done that. Like, and it's true. Lots of people yeah. have. Like, like John Grisham is kind of the famous example, but there's a lot of really successful writers film, TV, novels, who were lawyers. And so my mom was like, why don't you just do that? Because like, you'll make a bunch of money and then you'll have something to write about and then you'll be able... And I was like, well, I don't... One, I don't want to write about the law. And two, I don't... I don't want to be miserable for like a couple of years. Yeah. Yeah, On the chance that I get to try what I want to do when I'm like... (laughs) Yeah. When I'm retired. Like that seemed crazy. I get that. Yeah. So my How did did your dad react? Yeah. He was more encouraging in the sense that he was just kind of like he was like well he he just like sat me down he's like look you're you're a lawyer they can't take that away from you 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 did that and he was like but follow your dreams do whatever you want to do and I'll support you um and by support this was more like emotional support than anything else right. I was able to like live I I lived at home, so that was a big adjustment. It was like seven years on my own. Oh, yeah. You come home an adult and you... You come home an adult, spent about two years living there. That part, I love my parents, but that was the wrong place to be living. Pretty (laughs) miserable. But what was happening for those next two years was, you know, I was getting... I was was doing some freelance writing. Um, So I was selling articles and I had written a screenplay that had a producer had optioned for like very little money, but it was like, and I had gotten an agent. And so I was like enough, enough successful things had happened where I was like, oh, it's just a matter of time. Right, right. Well, and it's true. It probably would have been. I'm curious though, was at that exact crossroad in your life, was screenwriting something you were focusing on? specifically? Or was it just one more outlet where you're like, I'll do a little bit of this. I'll try my hand at this. I'll write something like this. I started writing, I started writing screenplays then mostly because I kind of looked around and I didn't know anyone who was a novelist, but I knew lots of people who were screenwriters and I was, and, and they, and, and 
they pay a lot more for screenplays. Yeah. Like they just, they just do. And so I was like, oh, this solves my problems because it, it feels attainable. Right. Like, and, and then it's like, oh, and then there's like, there's, there's, there's like actual payday at the end of it, or there's, or there's work, like there's, there's work and money. Right. right. As opposed to writing a novel, I kind of had a sense of like, I didn't, I wasn't, I, I didn't, I knew that I was sort of like not ready to write a novel, but I, I was, so that was not really like, it wasn't my, there. It, that wasn't brewing inside of you. I knew that I wanted to, but I knew that I didn't have it yet. Yeah. And so I just I wasn't going to do such that. an interesting thing that when I have spoken to writers previously, I think a novel finds you much like any other light bulb going off or any other in muse, you know, like I think it almost picks you. I don't, <laughs> from what I've gathered, I don't think you sit down and go, today I'm writing a novel. I, I think it comes to you in this natural, I'm saying from an outside perspective, but it seems as though noveling, noveling, being a novelist yeah. is yeah, one of those things that, that the, the journey, it taps on you at where to a point where you can't stop thinking about it and, and you really want to dive into this, you know, subject or these characters. And then there comes a point where you go, I have to write this book. But prior to that, I think, to your point, very true. I, I've spoken to so many writers that are just like, I wasn't ready. It, it hadn't called me yet. It wasn't the time to do a novel. Yeah, it, that was... I, so I had a, enough self-awareness to know that I wasn't ready to take on the big thing that was actually more my closer to my dream, yeah. right? Because I had just was just always even like going way back, was just an avid reader and was always... I, always a movie watcher and a TV watcher, but always like always the book over the movie for me. Right. So that was more the dream. But at the at that particular moment, it just felt like, oh, I I need a job. Screenwriting is a job, and I seem to be having. I wouldn't say success, but I, ha I was having more success than other people that I knew. Right. So like other people that I knew, they were like, I can't even get this script read. And right. I was like, no, no, like I'll, I'll, I can get, I can get it read by somebody and they don't like, they, they like it. That's something, whatever, but they'll pass it on to the next person. Right. And so I was like, I was getting those things happening, but I wasn't, it wasn't connecting. And the issue I later figured out was I was not writing anywhere near, I wasn't writing and I wasn't writing in the medium that was for me. I wasn't writing in the right genre. And I wasn't <laughs> writing for the right reason. So that's like three really big strikes against you. <laughs> I'm curious to know what was the genre that you were writing at the time in the medium that was not the best medium? Um, what what were your scripts about at the at that moment? Or so the I wrote multiple genres. I did write, like I wrote a, a couple of comedies. I wrote a couple of thrillers. I, I, tr wow. I wrote one really, really bad horror script. <laughs> these things didn't go, any, a lot of these things didn't go anywhere. Yeah. But the the reason why they, I, I think that what they weren't really good was that they were more often than not, my scripts just turned out to be uh, like an impression of what I thought a development executive wanted in a script, not what would be a good movie. And I took me a little while to figure out that, you know, movies are movies and television are similar in the sense of like, they're kind of written three times. They're written, you know, by the screenwriter, they're written by the director, right? Sort of in production. Mm -hmm. And then they're written in post-production because the editor is going to make a lot of choices too. And I, that 
that's not at all like satisfying to me creatively. <laughs> I, I, I want to tell the whole story. Um, but I didn't know that at the time either. It took me a while to sort of figure out that like what I was really writing was, you know, a screenplay is like, it's a document that's on the one hand, you know, it's kind of describing the thing that, that you hope will exist one day, the movie. Yeah. And then you're also, but you're also kind of just saying like, hey, like give us money to go make <laughs> that thing. Right. And, and those were things that were just completely... I just they just didn't really sync up with what I was interested in. Yeah. And so I it it was not a like it wasn't the worst experience in the world, but it was like it just always felt like, like a square nah. peg. Just square peg in a round hole. Like totally. I just I just didn't feel right. And every time I would have a little bit of like progress, you know, people would be like that, you know, people that I knew would be like, that's amazing. And I was like, hey, like it's amazing that like like I get that I wanted to accomplish that thing or that I'm heading in the right direction. But I was like, I don't but it's not think lighting is- my fire. Like it's just not fueling me to go. Oh, this is what I'm so stoked about. Yeah, and it's also not like it's not lighting my fire, and it's like it's not meeting a creative need, but it also wasn't meeting a financial need either, <laughs> because it was like it was it was like you know, best case was like you're making like a few thousand dollars, which is nice, but you're not like you're not making enough to say, oh, this is really a career. Right. I'm still I was still freelancing. And so I was doing a lot of freelance writing at the time. But after about two, two and a half years, I thought, which is a really short period of time, by the way, but like a long period of time to be living with your parents and a short period of time (laughs) to try writing. And I just thought, whatever reason I got it into my head, I was like, I've failed. I've made a complete just mess of everything. And so around 2005, I just said you know what, maybe I completely screwed up. Maybe this wasn't meant to be or I did wrong or whatever, but like I should just go be a lawyer. Like I literally, I literally did a, like a do kind you, of a one do in you think that? Do you think it was because, I, I, you know, that's the, the continuous plight of all artists is that how do you map success, right? Like for you, you're like, okay, cool. Yeah, that one accomplishment or I got that thing or I wrote for that thing which are all, in my mind, like, you decide, you told your whole family, like, I'm going to go be a writer, and here things are, you are granted, maybe not lifestyle money, maybe not like I can go buy a house now money, but you are making money, you are being acknowledged in your craft. What was the thing for you that made you go, I did it wrong, I messed up? Like, what was I thinking? What was the, what was the moment that you went, oh, I don't know. It was, it was more like, it was more like status and it was, it it was, it sounds kind of terrible, right? Because it's like, like I was, my, my dad was really sort of like a big champion of go of just going ahead. Right. Right. And cause he was like, he was like, well, I don't know. It's a high, he's like, it's a really speculative job. Totally. And and he was like, you're getting a little bit of success. Like something's happening. You should just keep going in that direction. Totally. Um, But from like a status standpoint, I was kind of like, you know, it's like this really weird thing. Like I have a lot of anxiety and something that I've like dealt with over, over the years. But for me, it was like this tremendous anxiety at that moment in my life around the question of like, what do you do? Mm. And it was like, I, I felt like I couldn't, I couldn't just say, oh, I'm a writer and be really like comfortable with that because it was like, oh, well, you're like, you're not even making enough to like pay your rent. Right. You know what I mean? Like, like, or you make enough so to pay it, your it rent. It almost somewhat. felt like, it, like yeah. it was. Uh, I mean, I, I get that feeling. I, I've had that feeling where it almost feels like you're saying it out loud to almost convince yourself. You know, it's like when when other people go, "What do you do?" I'm a writer. 
Oh, really? Because you know what the follow-up questions are. What have you written? What kind of writing? And then you have to go, oh, well, somebody liked one of my scripts. Oh, my gosh. So you write for movies? Well, no. But I have this one. I mean, I understand. Same thing with being a singer or anything else. It's like. Yeah. Yeah, and you're and and it was it was one of those things like those things don't re- like those things don't really matter, but they I guess they matter in the sense of like it if it if it's hard for you to come out and say I'm a writer, right? And to and to just be proud of it, and also to not have any anxiety around it at all, um, then it does matter. And I guess it did matter for me at the time, and I felt like, well, I guess what I really was saying to myself was was like actually, you know what you just need to be successful, fill in the blank. Like you need to be a successful blank. Right. And then at that moment, that's sort of why law looked so... Like why 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 a 180 degree switch to something that I thought was terrible made sense because I was like, oh, go back to law because like it's like the one thing about like a, a, a the legal profession is like it's very structured and it's very risk averse. Totally. And so it's like, very, okay, you do... You can calculate it. Yeah. Much more so than being a writer. Yes. You can go, I can start at this firm and I can do, I, and I'm making this up, but like I can do contracts. And if I do that for a couple of years, then I can move to X firm and get a higher position in the partnership. And then I can move to blah, blah, blah. And then I can have my own practice. And I mean, there's more strategic leaps to take. Yeah, there's there's a path that kind of like, yeah. it, it's, it's shared by more of the people in the profession. So it looks like a real path. Right. And at that time, I so I this was like 2005, and I was like, I I, I need to I need to just change course radically yeah. here. And my dad was like, Well, what is what is, like what do you need to do there? And I was like, Well, first thing I need to do, Dad, is is not actually live with get, you. <laughs> well, actually, even before that was I need to, I need to get sworn in because you have to become so you have to. There's like a moral character thing to be in the bar. And so you have to fill out like a whole background. I'm, it I mean, sounds that, funny. that sounds funny, right? I'm not the only person it's, that thinks that that sounds funny. <laughs> no, it's it's completely absurd, but you have to get fingerprinted. It's a background check. It's a, it's a lot of paperwork. Yeah. And I had just been deferring it for two years because I was like, it doesn't matter. Right. And I just, I just don't care. And I was like, I just didn't do it. I finally got around to doing it two years late, which meant that I had to pay like back dues So I had to, so I I was like, so the cost of like activating was like a little bit like, like a lot of like, basically like what I made writing screenplays, like went into like activating for the bar. It was, it was just a total loss. And I showed up at my like swearing in ceremony in Pasadena. There's a courthouse where they did it and it's super fancy. It's like, there's like, there are people who are like the ushers wear white gloves and everybody is wearing a suit or a fancy. Well, because for everybody else, this is probably an incredibly proud, proud moment. It's the biggest day in their life. (laughs) And everybody is showing up. I I showed up in jeans and like an, and like a, a wrinkled shirt that I had like probably worn to one of your shows like the night before or something like that. Like, like I really just, I just did not care. Yeah. And it was just, that was like, that, that was a, that was like the low point. I think of like my entire <laughs> career was saying, okay, California bar, you got me. Yeah. I'm back. Um, wow. But it didn't last. It didn't, fortunately that didn't last long. I, I, I actually got a job Um and that also kind of led to, uh, it also, I realized at that job, I was like, oh, this is where my novel is. So I, I should, I should be. Tell there. me more. This is so interesting. What was so the I had, job? I, <laughs> I got a job as a reporter 
at a trade publication that covered adult entertainment, so, or what is more commonly known as porn. <laughs> yeah. So you became a reporter for a porn mag. I, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yes, I became a reporter for a porn mag. Because, and it, look, and I think I think if you're listening to this podcast, Michael, like it's all going to make you sense so at the much. end. <laughs> and then you thought, oh wait, I am cut out for writing. Yeah, yeah. Because so so you know, I was kind of like I was looking for at the time. I was looking for this wasn't by design exactly. Yeah. I, I I was looking for jobs, legal jobs. Like like lawyer jobs, yeah. not, like they were all jobs that I was doing were, were legal. legal. I want to be clear about that. Yeah, <laughs> you weren't drug trafficking or stealing children. Or, yeah. No, never, never, never. But I was I was looking for these kinds of jobs, and I was applying to them, and kind of it was not having the best luck, mostly because I was having a hard time explaining what I had been doing for the last two years. <laughs> and on a lark one day, I just saw that there was an ad on Craigslist because this is where it would be for a company that covered that for for a, a trade publication called yeah. Xbiz that covered porn and and it it's it's the second best trade publication covering porn. I just want to be really clear. <laughs> I'm about just that. curious, is it based out of Riverside? Where, where? No, it's no, you know what? It was it was based it was based on Highland and Wilshire in the Cochrane building. No way. Yeah. yeah. So we're on like the 10th floor of the Cochrane building. That's amazing. <laughs> And the rumor the rumor was was that the owner of the company had picked it because it it strongly resembled the um the hustler building. I was just gonna I was what I was gonna ask. Yeah. Yeah, and it does look a little bit it's a different shape, but a similar kind of color and glass and all that. And and the owner of the company was was very much of a um I guess he was kind of a Larry Flint wannabe is like the, the way like it, like he didn't have any of the Larry Flint style or anything like that. He just wanted Larry Flint's empire. Right. Um, and so he he had this trade publication and he had his own like porn websites and stuff like that. So when I went there, I so I, I applied and I got the job and I and I was like, it was immediately like I knew this is this is the this is feels like the right fit in a strange way. Because it was just, it was so, it was so weird and it was so sort of like out of bounds, talk about like pushing limits and stuff. It was kind of what I was looking for when I was traveling, right? Yeah. This was, this was a really thing to like kind of just, it felt like crossing a Rubicon, right? Like crossing this right. river and, and you're not going back. And particularly at the time, because this was 2006-ish, I think. Yeah. And so, you know, George W. Bush is president. It's a very different culture that we live in, totally. a much more judgmental culture. This is probably about like, maybe I want to say maybe eight or nine years before the word sex positive enters. like the Right. The well, culture. I was going to say, yeah. I would imagine the the adult entertainment industry in general is still considered very much an underbelly of society versus integrated. I feel like post the era you're talking about, Porn culture, adults culture has become very normalized by our pop stars, by our media in general. You know, a half-naked woman is very not a big deal anymore. A mostly mm -hmm. naked woman is a very not big deal anymore. Where there was a time when it was like, holy cow, boobs. You know, <laughs> it's like. Yeah. I mean, I remember very quickly, like, like, like friends telling me very clearly, they were like, if you take this job, like there's no going Back. Like you're never gonna be, like it was weird. People would say things like you're never gonna be president. And I was like, I'm never gonna you're all, run cool. for president. Cool. So I can live with that. Yeah, that's that's okay. Yeah. But 
but like I did have a sense of like I'm crossing over into something that's very different. That underbelly. It's that that t- yeah. that that part of life that the average person doesn't generally cross into cover report on. You know, I mean, that's not your normal, like, you don't talk to most of your friends over coffee and be like, yeah, so I was covering Jenna, whatever her name is, you know, or whatever. Um, <laughs> Jameson. Um, I do have a question, though. What how, What did you tell your folks at the time? Or did you tell your folks? Were you like, guess what? I told my, I, I told my parents. Um, my mom was uh, not pleased. Yeah. Uh, she, she was, you know, she wasn't, she... She she wasn't she kind of just like, like denied it so she was just she would just keep telling people that her son was a lawyer yeah. and introducing me and introducing me as a lawyer so it was a very awkward couple of years where people would be like she'd be like oh and have you met my son he's a lawyer and they say what kind of law do you practice and I say well I don't I'm a porn journalist which is <laughs> I don't know if that's the exact opposite but it's pretty far from and so that was that was kind of her and general your mom's reaction. All- Okay, I'm gonna go get a glass of wine. <laughs> Discuss. <Yeah. laughs> exactly. My my dad was proud of me, always proud of me. He one of the first things he did as soon as I started writing stories, he would he would he would go get the story <laughs> and email it to everybody that he knew. And the weird thing was, was like a lot of these stories were not they weren't really about like the content. They were actually about the business. Cause it's, it's like being for the Hollywood reporter. Right. You might review something. You might write something that's like about what the content is, but more often than not, you're writing about the business of the industry. Um, and he was just super proud because he was like, well, Michael seems to be doing what he wants. He seems to have like found his, yeah. his strong in a, in a weird way. And I had, I don't think what he, I don't think he realized exactly why, which was, for me, very quickly, as soon as I got there, I just, a light bulb just clicked. And I was like, if you stay here for a period of time, you will gather enough string to have a novel. You will have... The novel you, found you. Yeah, you, you will get your story. Like, you've been, looking, you've been looking for this. You don't know how to quite articulate it. This is a weird, weird world. Like, on, I want to say my first week, two, two people came, two little people came into the office dressed as Oompa Loompas. And and gave us golden tickets to a to a uh, a party for a company and I and they were but they were like they were convincing Oompa Loompas except that they were um, like in a bad mood because we were like <laughs> at the end of their day and I was just like this is the best story like this is this is the yeah. this is great like, like this is happening this. in my life right now <laughs> yeah and I didn't realize at the time it took me a little longer to piece it together but that uh, I had I had. I had started in porn at a kind of a good time, which was, it was about 10 year, it was about the, roughly the 10 year anniversary of what the, of the adult internet, meaning that porns first started to get put on the web around 1996. It took a little while to figure out payments and monetization, but porn was one of the first things to figure out how to actually make money online. Wow. Um, and then by 2006, when I came into the picture, Lots of the companies that had done that and had had enormous success for decades, um, for about a decade, these companies had all kind of like disrupted the like the VHS porn studios. Right. You, like like what you kind of see at the end of Boogie Nights is like the VHS is coming in. Right. So 10 years later or so, you have the web people kind of coming in and pushing out those people, which really kind of made up the San Fernando Valley. Right. And then... 
you kind of, and so I, I was sort of there for like this, like this big celebration. So the first year was like covering, I mean, it was covering the regular stuff that was happening in the industry, but like lots of, it, it was like at its apex, lots of big parties, wow. lots of crazy celebrations, lot, lots of stuff. And because it's, because it's porn, lots of fights about money that ended in like litigation or some sort of like foul play or something like, so there was so really, really great stories like happening all yeah. around me all the time. And then towards the end of my time there, about 2007 into 2008, I just, I noticed that the people who were like the adult webmasters who had kind of like ruled the world yeah. uh, were starting to get pushed aside by a new thing, uh, which was the tube sites. And so right. they were kind of getting disrupted by their by their own thing. And I was I was sort of on my way out the door, but watching this industry kind of go from like really great heights, right? Like it was like <laughs> there was they were spending a lot of money and like just a lot of things were kind of happening. And glamorizing it and giving it this like, for lack of a better word, kind of porn credibility. It was like, we're, we are this industry. We are this entertainment. We are not this seedy, dark thing. We are glamorous. We have all these things to now they're getting kind of like, oh crap, people are filming this in their own bedrooms and putting it on YouTube or any of the tubes, you know? Yeah. And, and production companies are going out of business right. all of a sudden. And so that's a, different kind of thing what like watching that happen and then at the same time my boss and this always at the time just struck me as completely bonkers was he would say to me porn is going to go mainstream and i thought that's crazy yeah. you, you're like you're insane which is actually why i'm working here because <laughs> i want to write down like what you're talking about right, right. but i don't think you're going to be right well it turns out like he was right to a point and i was wrong but i'm glad i wrote it down and that was just that he he really did kind of call his shot and say, no, like as we become more of a digital culture, this thing that is so ubiquitous that's kind of eating the whole internet is actually going to merge into the mainstream culture and it'll be very hard to tell these apart. And that point like really hit home in this last year, seeing so many people, you, you know, it, like everybody that I know is aware of OnlyFans, right? And I don't even know what that is. Oh, you don't know? Oh my God. <laughs> It's, I have heard of OnlyFans. I should take that back, but I didn't know that was. A, is that a porn thing? So it's a it's a it's a platform that it's it can be for anything, but it it's kind of heart and soul, and what makes it work tend to be sex workers. Um, Interesting. And it so it works for them, and there's just this long history on the internet of new platforms getting a lot of, um, I guess, getting a lot of eyeballs and and activity as a way to put it, right. uh, mostly because there are porn performers there or porn companies there or sex workers or some variation working on that platform. Where they uh, can somebody. monetize themselves. Like they don't have to be a part of a production per se. And then the platform gets more legitimate and kicks them off. And so like, so like MySpace was like a good example of like initially lots and lots of porn stars and stuff like that. And then MySpace was like, well, we want to do ad deals with like big companies. So right. get out of here, you red light district. Like we wanted and you here when you brought all the people, but now that we've gotten to a new level. Now that we have to, yeah. We took your people and you can go and just, yeah. Oh my gosh. That, that is such a fast. when you look at it in those terms, like there is a lot to write about. Yeah. Yeah, so, I, it was. There was a big. I knew there was a big story there, and I knew that it was a story that was an alternative point of view on an even bigger story of our lifetime, which is just the emergence of the digital the, the digital revolution. Right? Totally. So I, I 
I knew that that was an interesting POV to be writing from. Totally. Now, I do have to ask just because I find it fascinating and curious. Part your your personal life, partnerships, as you are dating or being a person of the world, and you're you're literally writing about pornography. Did that affect your relationships? Because I've asked you about your parents, but I mean personal life relationships, intimate relationships. Did that ever come into the play of of you being like, so this is what I do? It was something that I was always I always was very like upfront about it because I knew that it did bother some people and I didn't want I never wanted to be in a situation where it felt like somebody, a secret. It felt like a secret that I was withholding it from somebody that I was dating. So I would tell people like on like almost like date one uh, and just like kind of get Hi, it out of the way. I'm Michael. Here's what you should know. <laughs> Here's what you should know. And the, the, so the weird thing was was that I noticed I I noticed that I was like I be, I became like. It, it it didn't, nobody, very few, I think maybe one or two people were like, no, I'm not dating you. Yeah. That was rare. More often than not, I would end with, it, it would end up being that some, that a woman that I was maybe interested in became less interested in me, not because of the porn thing, but because she generally would be like, oh, I've got a million questions. Right. And, and, and it was just one of those things that I, I really kind of like started picking up on was that this is, you know, when I talk about porn, there's lots of different kinds but like when i'm prim- like what i covered is a very heteronormative male dominated thing it's ubiquitous and that i think raises a lot of questions for particularly for women because one particularly if you're a woman who dates men right then it's like are you this person like i mean it, does that translate to our relationship is that how you view yourself in yeah. these dynamics yeah yeah, I mean, every, every almost every guy that I would that I knew or that I met at that in that time in my life asked the same questions, and they were so boring. They were always like, uh, "Have you slept with porn stars? Can you get me a date with a porn star?" <laughs> and the answer was always like, "One, none of your business, and two, no." No. And so that was just that. Almost every woman who, I guess, I almost kind of became like an ask me anything for uh, women that I knew because they were like, I have a million questions that I like, I have nowhere to ask them. Right. And so you became a resource for sure. Yeah. 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 And so (laughs) in that way, like, I think it actually, it actually helped me kind of become like, I guess, more comfortable in my skin rather than the reverse. Got it. I was just curious because that is one of those, it's one of those angles to that position where you're going to go people innately, whether they mean to or not, is going to, are going to have either a curiosity, a judgment, or a a preconceived idea of who you are based on the work, even though while, why you're doing the work is not necessarily related to who you are because you're looking at it through a different lens and, and trying to soak in the information for this novel to come, whereas like someone from the outside would be like, why are you so intrigued? Why are you writing for this publication? Why are you, you know, this, that, or the other? That's why I was just wondering how, if that had any effect in your personal life arena. It, it, it did, but only, only really a positive, like an unintended, but positive effect. Yeah. And it just, it just made me like be a lot more comfortable in my skin. That's which awesome. Is a, a good thing. Yeah. So I mean, I, in, in that way, it's kind of, it's, it, look, it's an industry that's filled with a lot of people who like will call themselves outlaws or like pride themselves on being kind of a little bit of like a social pariah or outcast. There's money to be made with that kind of branding. Right. And so that happens. But it's not to say that some people 
many people, I think, generally, like they genuinely feel that about themselves. And what you find is, is like, once you kind of, once you stop being like porn, people will kind of call like non-porn people civilians. Once you're not a civilian, you find that you're like, you're surrounded with lots of, you're surrounded by lots of people who think very differently and really do not in the, in the best possible way, just do not worry about what other people are thinking about them. And for me, that was huge because I could spend an entire lifetime obsessing over what other right. people are. So it's liberating in a sense. You're like, oh, I'm now ha- surrounded yeah. by people who are going, don't give two shits. Like, go do you for yeah. whatever reason. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So what was for you, was it the changing of the times? What was the thing? When did you kind of know, like, I'm ready to make my exit from this particular arena? I think I'm ready to try something else. I want to get out of this industry. How, how did that transition unfold for you? It's so it like it starts to it started to wear on me. I knew that I didn't want to do it forever. So I began after about like I get about a year and a half thinking like, okay, there's gotta be something else. But how do you now now having like made this like weird leap out of law into writing almost <laughs> back into law? And then how do you like leap into porn? And then now the big problem is is like how do you leap out, out of porn? porn. <laughs> and that wasn't easy. And I was going on like job interviews. All writer, all writer jobs, like writer and reporting jobs, but it was frustrating because I didn't want to hide the ball. I really, I couldn't. Like, I had your clips are everything that you like wrote, right? That yeah, exactly. You need your clips, and so people knew who I had written for, and I was always presenting. I had a lot of like, like I said, like pornographers love to sue each other. There were lots of obscenity trials, so I had a lot of, I had a lot of like clips that actually would fall into the business writing or legal writing or tech writing categories. Yeah. And so I was very presentable in that way. But what was frustrating was I kept on encountering editors, hiring editors, oftentimes men, uh, who would ask the same questions. Have you slept with a porn star? And can I sleep with a porn star? Right. And you're like, I'm here to be a writer. Yeah, it's a terrible (laughs) question to ask anyone, period. But I think it's a really unprofessional question to ask someone. And and also, by the way, nobody asked me that when I interviewed. Like, that was not the question that was... Like, nobody at porn was like, hey, like, do you intend to sleep with porn stars? Like, Like, that, like, in a lot of ways, very above the board and professional. But the way that the world kind of reacts to you, I had found was like, whoa, that's... This was no lie. I knew I knew that it was sort of coming, but I saw it. Um, and so I interviewed at a couple different companies and always kind of felt like either either I didn't get the job or I was gonna I seemed to be on the way to getting the job or I got the job, but it was always kind of like I could tell it was for the wrong reason. I could tell that the editor thought, oh, here comes this like like good times porno guy or something. Right. And I'm going to like, and I'm like, I'm not going to take, like, I could, I guess I could still get invited to one of those parties. I'm not going to go because they're kind of boring, but yeah. And I'm also like, you. yeah. And, and that's not my job here. My job here is not to, you know, lively up your sex life. My job here is to write, which is what you hired me for. I thought. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I ended up not taking those jobs. And then a friend of well, a woman who had hired me, uh, who had left b- before I had left, uh, went to work for a trade publication that just covered um, online advertising, which is ad tech. Yeah. And she texted me one day and she said, do you know, we're looking for a reporter. Do you know anyone? Thinking that she was looking for 
you know, that I might just know someone. And I was like, yeah, like, you know that person too. It's me. And she was like, oh my God, are you serious? And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm done. I, I want to like, I, I want a real job. Yeah. And so I ended up getting hired at a, a company that's no longer, it's a lot of publications just fail ultimately. But I ended up working there for a couple of years and lovely group of people. But it was sort of like, it sort of was like landing on the surface of Mars, right? Because like, <laughs> like I had I had come from a, a an office in a world where like a, I mean not only like are not only is there porn like up on the walls and it's on somebody's computer screen, but people are saying things. There's a lot of like as one of my old editors in porn pointed out, he was like, "There's not a lot of drama on screen, but there's a tremendous amount of like people invent a tremendous amount of drama." I do have to ask, because it it begs the question for my brain anyway. Like, at some point in an environment like that, do you just become desensitized? Like, you almost don't see it? You know what I mean? Like, if you walk in every day and there's porn on that TV and on that screen and on that thing, like, does it get to a point where you almost just don't see it the way somebody who walked in who had never worked there would be like, oh, my gosh, there's, you know, straddled legs galore. But you walk in and you're like, eh, it's just another day. I you become sort of desensitized and you, and not in a good way. Yeah. And you tend, I, I always, just because I have kind of like a twisted sense of humor, you know, so like you get like a lot of free porn and stuff like that. I would always like, like what was the weirdest like title that could kind of come like my way. Right. <laughs> like I was, I was always like, Oh, that's the, the funny. Right. So like, there was like, like somebody sent us like a, like honest to goodness, like it's like a real movie, just like clown porn. It's just, just <laughs> it's clowns who really are, just going porn. to town. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, that's that's phenomenally interesting because everything else is so like very much, there's a lot of sameness and it just kind of like right. it sort of washes over you. So like the at a certain point, I was like, I could just sort of tell like you're becoming a little bit desensitized to it. Um, and I also was just, I was a little bit, I think at that point, you know, we had mass, we would get sort of like massive amounts of traffic for obvious reasons. Even though we were an industry publication, the general public would tend to read our stories. Right. Or, or maybe not the general public, but but some members of the general public would read our stories. <laughs> and I just, I it it gave me a very kind of like queasy feeling about what the internet was and what it was becoming. And I wasn't really feeling very good about that. And so... I, when I left and started working as like a trade reporter, sort of having to deal with like the oddity of of being in an office that was like normal. Um, and then also trying to think about the job that I had just had. I wrote my first novel. It's called Murder and Other Distractions. And it's just about... It's 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 a... it's I would kind of call it as like a, almost like a meditation on, on nihilism. I mean, it's about a... It's about a clickbait writer who's wanted... Uh, he's kind of a... He's a suspect in a murder. And he clearly didn't do it, but he just doesn't give a shit. Wow. So wait, I want to talk about that, though. So you leave, you're, you're at this new trade trade ad... I'm going to say that wrong. What was it's the... Called I, it was called iMedia. iMedia. Okay. How quickly did your novel now unfold, having had these couple of years of experience in this industry, writing for them, and, and having the crime element mixed in? How did you put all that together? Because you were like, oh, and then I wrote my novel. Boom, boom, boom. No, I just, I started, because um, I was still doing, like, here and there, I thought, oh, maybe I should, like, I kind of would keep restarting screenwriting and stopping it. And I, so I was doing that. But after one, I guess after one particular assignment went nowhere and I was really frustrated, I was really just in a bad mood. And I was like, I, 
this the I was really like really frustrated because I had this thought, and it was a thought that kind of would like haunt me for the next maybe ten years. Right? It was like you could spend your whole life as a writer writing things that people will never read because mm. if you write screenplays, it's entirely possible that uh, you get paid and they don't make it, and so what 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 do you have to show for yourself? Like, right. like were, were you were you even here? Right. Right. And and just like really deep kind of like existential dread kinds of questions that yeah, that aren't really not helpful to anyone for sure. But like that was that was like what was kind of marinating in my in my mind. So I was like, after one of those uh bouts where I was like yeah, I did this thing that I thought was going to work out and it just came to... It just another thing that came to nothing. I just... I thought, yeah, I just kind of opened up my laptop one day and I started typing and it was... It was a... It was a voice that I had not like heard before in myself. It was... And it was a... It was an angrier voice than I... Than I am, I think. But it was... It was... It was a lot of sort of like getting out the sort of like frustrations of having had the job that I had had and kind of a lot of the like fears and sort of like worries of what that world was and and what I what I saw the world was becoming because like as I mentioned I thought my boss was crazy that porn would sort of go mainstream but even 2 years after him saying that to me initially I realized that he was starting to look more right than me yeah and so I thought holy cow this is really getting like this is getting worse and i just need to sort of like i need to sort of say something about that i need to excise that yeah and so i started writing but in a very uh like kind of disorganized way i wasn't thinking that it would be a novel i just started writing pages. and it, and to this point if i'm not mistaken you have not written a novel so this exact crossroad for you is also a, a new way to write. I mean, writing a novel is a different is far different than writing a screenplay, which is far different than writing an article or doing <laughs> journalistic, you know, investigating. Was there frustration with that for you or did it all just come fairly easily as as the ideas were pouring out in the culmination of all the experiences? It wasn't frustrating. It was actually very um it 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 came it came easier than anything I'd written before. Okay, everyone, today's episode was recorded at and brought to you by Raven Sound Studio in historic downtown Prescott, Arizona. Raven Sound Studio is a professionally equipped audio production facility offering recording, mixing, and mastering services throughout northern Arizona and surrounding areas. Whether you are looking to cut a demo, record your next single, or have a full album produced, Raven Sound Studio has the tools and skills you need to get the job done. For more information, head to www.ravensoundstudio.com to book a session or schedule a tour. I had written something that it wasn't a novel, but while I was while I was a porn journalist, I thought at first I thought, okay, this that is will a never not make me smile. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> you okay. know, that's I mean, okay. in my time of being a porn journalist, uh, it was you know. <laughs> I knew, I knew from day one. I was like, oh, I've got my story here. I thought, I thought it was a memoir. I just that's what I thought I would be writing. Right. So I was taking notes and I was writing down stories that were kind of episodic and I was sending them around to friends and people were, I was getting good reactions, like just by email, like like just putting it out there to friends. And they were like, this is really interesting. This thing doesn't make any sense. Could you explain this? Like things like that. But I was getting this kind of like, it was good feedback. I put it together as what I thought was sort of a memoir. I, I pitched it to a bunch of agents. It didn't, it went, it went nowhere. And it, 
didn't really it didn't really work as a memoir because there wasn't really any great arc, right? It was like it was basically like a, a guy discovers at a certain point that he doesn't want to be a porn reporter anymore. And right. there was like there wasn't ever any big payoff there. So I put it, I put, kind of put that in a drawer and I thought at the time, and so this this was sort of I had I was done with porn at that point, but I was like, there is a story to tell here. I don't know what it is, but you're too close to it. So you need to back away. And then I just started. So I was like, okay, but I'm, I do like writing in word as opposed to final draft. I knew that much. <laughs> and so I started writing a, more in word and what came out was a novel. And that took, that took many years to sort of like put together. And it wasn't until I think, I think I published it in 2012. So it, it took, it took a while. There was, yeah. there was a lot of like, it that was a, that was a, about a three or four year journey. Right. And, and you're still writing other things in the meantime for work. <laughs> yeah. Neither. I have a day job, right? Like yeah. I, I right. I, That's, yeah. 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 So I would go to work, uh, as a, as a trade reporter, uh, for a company called iMedia. And so I was covering, uh, advertising, digital advertising. And what I was learning about there a lot really kind of horrified me because, uh, most of the media that is like most digital media is ad supported. And what I kind of saw was, was that the publishers, I mean, this is a little bit wonky, but like basically the publishers are not getting a very good side of the bargain, right? Like advertisers are getting to have their way with publishers and also with the, with consumers, they're doing fine. Um, but it's hard, it's harder and harder to make a go as a publisher. And I thought, well, this really does not bode well for your future because the people who sign your paycheck are publishers. <laughs> And You're like, oh, I, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. But this is where like after after sort of, you know, a, a few months of kind of like readjusting to a world that wasn't porn. Civilian world. Civilian world. All of my like previous sort of like, you know, lawyerly training and all of that really kind of came back to serve me well. So I was able to like speak with you know, higher ups in in our organization and stuff like that and say like, well, I really, I don't think there's much of a future here for like, like I was able to sort of dig in on a, on a level of sort of like their, their quarterly reports and stuff like that and, right. and talk to them in a more of a business sense. Cause I'd also been a business reporter for a period of time, you know, first porn and then not porn. <laughs> but I, what I found was it was basically a lot. It was a lot was very similar. A lot of it had the same kinds of pressures. And I found that, uh, there just I didn't think there was a good future for uh, just for shall we say like online publishing generally whether it's journalism or entertainment um, and I kind of saw the writing on the wall and thought so after about two years there I was like I got to get out of here um, and I joined a startup that really went bust it didn't go very well <laughs> and then very quickly had to just start freelancing. So I started covering, I didn't write what you know, right? So I started, I started writing for California Lawyer Magazine, which covers law. I started writing, I did some freelance writing about porn. I started writing like other magazine pieces uh, that were, you know, like airline magazines and stuff like that. Yeah. Like, like I could, I could write lots of different stories, but I was always kind of searching for, hey, there's got to be like what's, what's insulated from the, the thing that the internet is doing to these companies. Right. So looking for publications that were specifically uh, like they had sort of higher walls against the barbarians, if you will. Yeah. And, and yeah, so that was my, like my, my kind of survival strategy, uh, which, which was like a lifeboat that only lasted as long as I needed it. 
too. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's still it still exists. People make their living like that, but it's a tough thing, I think, to particularly for friends who are journalists uh, in this moment because uh, you know it's it's a very competitive space on the on the journalist side of things, but then on the publisher side of things, the margins are terrible and the future is bleak. And so you spend, it's a, it's, it's a dying industry in a lot of ways. Right. So what was, what became the thought process then? Like what, uh, uh, outside of freelancing, where did your mind go as a safe space for your, your beautiful ability to put words to fake paper on your computer? The, my, 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 my thing was, was like, I was, it was always sort of like, okay, where, like one, where, where do you get paid? Where, and, and where do you, but not, not as simple as like, who's paying you right now, but like, what is the, what is the future right. of that? Right. right. And so some of that was, you know, tried a lot of different things. I, um, I took classes at UCB, uh, Upright Citizens Brigade. So I started writing sketch comedy. Yeah. Because I was like, okay, well, they like there's there's Mad TV, there's SNL. I didn't get any of these jobs or anything like, but I was like, okay, that's an industry that like that there there's growth there. Right. I started writing um, pilots for television as like a, as writing samples because I was like, they staff people, they hire people right. for jobs. I started writing, you know, more f- for magazines that I knew weren't likely to be canceled anytime soon. They were ultimately canceled. Right. Um, but I was I was kind of like I was kind of doing that, but I. I had had I had had the experience of putting out my first book in 2012 and really liking it and really being kind of blown away that people I did not know read it and liked it um, and that was really positive and I thought I would like to do this again but I realized you know if there's if you're gonna if you're gonna sort of if you're gonna write what I write which is more genre like I wanted to write more genre stories than what I had written. And I like mysteries and I really love stoner comedies. And so for me, <laughs> I like to put those two things together. Like, yes. the, you know, so like the kind of the central text in my, like, I guess, like artistic life would be The Big Lebowski, right? Like, which is a totally. Raymond Chandler novel told as a stoner comedy. That's for me, like, that's the height of happiness for me. And that's like my ma- my natural place to sort of go. Um, but I thought, yeah, okay, this is the thing that I want to write. I want it to be more genre and I want it to be a, a sort of like a funny mystery and I want it to be funny before it's mysterious. I want the funny first, which right. is unusual. Usually you go the other way. And I just thought, okay, I want to do that. Um, and I need a world. And I've like, I've, I've, I've kind of trampled through this really strange world. Let me start writing about that. So soon after I wrote, uh, murder and other distractions. I started writing "Not Safe for Work," and I had this. I I knew that it was going to be a series, and I kind of changed the timeline a little bit uh, from my own timeline, just for sort of some yeah. technical and and it just makes it more interesting reasons. Um, <laughs> but what I was really, I knew what I was doing by then, and what I was doing, and what my plan was, was to start a mystery series, circa starting at a, around Christmas time 2011 which is when our our hero like lands rather unceremoniously at the second best trade publication in Porn Valley because obviously art imitates life and <laughs> I just wanted to tell the story of I wanted to tell his story and kind of the story of, of Porn Valley but also the story of journalism and the internet through the next decade. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I'm I'm laying down a marker here on 2011. 
I'm going to write a whole bunch of books that will take us over the course of about 10 years. Um, and so the book, well, the book just came out in March. That's book one. I'm, I'm currently working on book four. So I'm, a, I'm, I'm ahead of, yeah. So I'm ahead of Dude, time. that's amazing. But that was a lot to, but that, that, that took like a lot to like say, okay, like I'm going to set myself up to sort of like have this run. Right. Yeah. There's a, so much thought involved in this in the best way. I, I, mean, I know that's not shocking. I say that like it's some yeah. shocking revelation and it's not. Um, but what I think is just so fascinating is, is having the privilege of hearing the whole experience to this point. It makes this payoff so much, like so weighty to me because knowing your whole journey up into this point, like I can't wait to read this series. Well, that, yeah, I mean, hopefully that, that's like, that's, that's obviously like, I'd like everybody to read it, yeah. but like, I mean, <laughs> uh, except, except for those under 18, yeah. but, um, <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, like there is a, there's like, there's a method to the madness. I didn't know that there was a method to the madness. I just knew, I knew that I wanted something different and I knew that I wanted to kind of gather string for a story, but I didn't know, I didn't know where that was going to be or where that was going to take me. And then by the time I had sort of done it, I, you know, then had to realize like, oh, you're too close, then back away and then say, okay, where do you want to go with this? And then start like putting it out in a way that makes sense. How do you decide where, when you're doing a series, how do you decide in your mind where one book ends versus where the next book picks up? For me, every book is, has to be about something. Um, so porn is a very good subject for me because it's actually really, um, it's really sort of sprawling and it, it, it tackles so many aspects of, of life. Um, so it's not, it's never just the sort of like the, the one thing that you think it is. So every time that I like sit down to write one of the books, I'm thinking like, okay, what do I want it to be? And right. so I sort of, I sort of want to take you on that adventure, but this is very much of a world and so, you know, there's, it's kind of a Michael verse, right? Like it's a, it's a bizarro yeah. Michael porno world. And so everyone kind of keeps coming back around, no pun intended, but like, they're, <laughs> like they're, well a played, lot sir. of, well played. yeah, a lot, a lot of characters do, you know, they do return and stuff like that. So there's a, there's a, there's like a larger world there, but yeah, my, my general thought is, is like, I want to, every time that I write one of these stories, I think I want to tell you something about the world, which isn't necessarily a funny thing. Like actually it's a pretty serious thing. Right. Um, and that's the sort of noir part of slacker noir, but the slacker part is the part that people like show up for. And that's the part that I show up for, frankly, like I, I, I enjoy that too, but I'm always like, yeah, but there's the world is maybe not like the, the world is perhaps more darker than you think, or more messed up than you think. And it's messed up in ways that you maybe don't know. Right. And I was going to say in the I'm, ways you don't, haven't even looked at. Yeah. And so I'm going to like show that to you, but I'm going to, you know, I'm going to take you through this world with like a very gentle guide. Yeah. What, yeah. If, let's get technical for a second. What is in, in the physical writing process? Do you like lock yourself up in a, in an office space? Do you go like into the undergrounds of your house and like meditate on your past? Like how do you get your, your actual word to paper? Like what is the process? How, how often do you sit and write to make these things come out of your brain? I try to write every day. Yeah. It doesn't always, it doesn't always work. Um, you know, so it's when I'm, when I am working on a novel, it's, I try to write every day. I have my outline 
I try to do it in the morning because uh, very little can go wrong in the morning. Uh, <laughs> you know, and so just try to like, if it's the first thing, then you, then it's your top priority and that's what happens. Right. And, then, and then work and all the other things that kind of happen can, can go wrong. Um, and so, but if you, if you do it at the end of the day, I find you have a million reasons, particularly as I get older, to not do it. Yeah. So I try to do it. How much early. time do you allocate to each day? Like, is it you sit down for two hours, three hours, or is it just to to the point of where you feel like you've gotten to a good place to pause till tomorrow? If I can do two hours to three hours, that's great. Um, I, I you know these are like these are like running marathons, but if you think about it, like, which I don't run marathons, but if you think <laughs> about it, like, if you I, to me, like, if I started out and I was like, oh, I need to walk i i need to i need to run 26 miles i would panic i wouldn't that wouldn't work for me so i just think about like okay you just need to get from a to b which is just mile one and i often just kind of keep telling myself like it's not gonna you're not publishing it today you, you know you can just it doesn't have to be the best it, thing you can wrote. keep unfolding yeah and also you know the reality is is like if you write for a hundred days one of those days is going to be your best. And one of those days is going to be your worst. You don't know which one is which. Um, and so you should just write for the 100 days because at the end, you'll probably have something to show for it. Um, and so that's that's pretty much... That my, seems like such a reasonable, pragmatic ap- approach, but it, it seems so beautifully logical that it, it, it couldn't help but be successful. Like you said, at the end of the 100 days, you have something um, yeah. to show for your time. So maybe, how do you get into your editing process? Like, how do you figure out what to cut out and what to keep? I cut, well, it's a combination of factors. So I do, because we haven't talked about the, the uh, there's like a whole nother part of my writing life that it's like a secret <laughs> identity. There's a lot to unpack with me. Like I just, just I love it so work. much. I love it so much. You might have to break this into two. That's okay. Um, We're happy to do that. Okay. So um, I started in about 2015. 15 or 16, there's a site called Wattpad, which is a social reading platform. It's mostly popular with, with uh, young people um, all over the world. Like I think it has about like 80 million people Just coming to it every day. Not a whole lot. Yeah. I'm a very like medium-sized <laughs> deal on there. I'm not, I'm like the, the people that are really crushing it on there tend to be like teenage girls and young <laughs> women who are writing all kinds of like scandalous romance stories and all that like they that's that's the bulk of the audience yeah but you get adult readers you get people who just read eclectically you read all kinds um and so one thing that i found was was that when i i previously had a process where i would write and i would sort of circulate pages to just uh what i call beta readers like friends who have good taste and just saying okay what are you thinking here um, and then I found that, you know, you can actually kind of accelerate that process and kind of hack it almost uh, by publishing on Wattpad. Um, because what happens is, is like you start to get, you start to get like live real-time internet feedback, um, but it's a, clo- it's a closed internet. So it's people who show up to read like a novel length story, right? right? right. So it's not, it's not randos on Facebook who are like, that was dumb. It's like, <laughs> it's, it's people, yeah, it's like, it's people who are like, Actually, invested like they, in wanting to read something. Yeah, like they really want to... Yeah, they really want to read a novel and they want to read something... If they found my work, it's because they probably want to see something like a little bit different or strange. And so what happens is like I get to sort of see that feedback. I don't necessarily take it... I don't always take it to heart or sort of like I don't take it just at face value, but there's an enormous value to scale so that like if if 
one person is saying, hey, that didn't work for me. That's one thing. If like 100 people or 200 people are saying like, that. Maybe I should look at that. It's probably you. And so, yeah, you should, <laughs> you should probably, you should probably like figure out whatever that thing is. And I'm always kind of, you know, I, I guess like, so for me, like the, the big learning there and it does inform what I choose to edit. It, it, what I what I tend to kind of cut. I mean, I tend I tend to sort of like I work with outlines in a, in a fairly precise sort of way. So I'm I know the story that I want to tell, and that yeah. that mostly holds up. But where it changes is um, having written on Wattpad, and you get audience data, so you know who you know demographically who's reading you, uh, and you also get feedback from people. Um, I just found that I was I was getting a lot of really really positive. Most of my fans are are uh, women. Yeah. And women who tend to, generally speaking, women read um, kind of funny mysteries, what they call sometimes called cozies. Um, I don't mind as an exactly a cozy, but it's sort of it's it's the same audience that it, yeah. that it appeals to. And so, what has changed over the course of a couple of years working through that has been to say, oh, like now I have a better sense of who my audience is and what is likely to please them. And it's 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 unusual because I like most people write female protagonists for that audience. I write a male protagonist, um, and so it's somebody that you know, it's a it's a young man that I think that they it's probably not a young man that they would like want to date or daughters to date, but that they kind of would like to mother in some way. I suppose it's like they would like to like all of my fans like would really like to get him out of porn. Right, like that would be the like they all, they all want to be the helping force for this experience. Yeah, they'd like him to sort of get yeah, like to 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 move on and somehow better. They'd like his sidekick a lot too and stuff like that. But yet so they're totally they intrigued like the at the same time. Yeah, so they're, they're, they're invested really on this emotional front and in yeah. a curious front, and then the humor is there. Yeah, and then so I I've kind of have a little bit more thoughtfulness now about like okay, what's what's likely to work for them as I work on books two, three, and four. Yeah, so, that's so yeah. cool, Michael. Thank you. You're just a whole bucket of fun. I I seriously like I think every uh, easily every five minutes my eyes and my mouth have gone oh, what. <laughs> Which is one of my favorite ways to feel when I'm talking to people because I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm just blown away. I want to ask you in your personal life, mm -hmm. as an author, as a writer, you're an observer, you're a storyteller, but you're also a sponge, like much to how we got to this place of what you write. Mm -hmm. When you're existing in your day in and day out, how do you catalog? You have, you said you have, you've kind of clear cut clear-cut outlines in the story you want to tell. But as you're going throughout your life on, on a personal level, how do you filter in, do you filter in things that you're experiencing in your immediate life, even if you're setting this, this novel or this series of novels in 2011? Are you pulling from things, I mean, life imitates art, art imitates life, all of these experiences have played into these books, but like, Currently, do you find yourself extracting things from the world, from your, your life as it, as it has evolved, from your relationships? Do those things also filter in? Or are you pretty clear at going like my writing mind and my writing vision are over here mm -hmm. and my Michael existence is over here? Are you somebody who can do that? Does your life and your writing bleed together more often than not? It bleeds together tremendously. Yeah. Uh, 
yeah, I mean, to the to the point where like you can't, I can't stop it, but I do have to be thoughtful about it. So I'll give you an example. Um, so I started in 2015, um, mostly because I was kind of, I had stopped doing journalism. And so my my byline had kind of stopped appearing in places. And I felt like I was disappearing from the internet, which is a way of disappearing from the world. And <laughs> it, it sound, that sounds really kind of, it would sound pathetic to somebody from the 90s. And it sounds uh, like like high stakes to somebody of 2021 right. to say I'm disappearing from the internet. But um, that was the feeling. And I thought, oh, I'm not writing. I, I knew I was I was writing novels, but people weren't seeing them. I wasn't I hadn't yet started putting them on Wattpad. I was going to say it's still in your immediate, it's on your laptop, you know, or your computer. It's on my, it's and in my head. And it's it's just this, it's this long process that I know I'm going to be doing for the next decade or more, but it's not there yet. And I started writing almost as kind of, I don't know, I don't know what got into me, but I, I went on Facebook one day and like, I'm the type of person, which if you haven't guessed by now, is that like weird things do happen to me. Like the, like life's <laughs> oddities do sort of find me. And I do have an unusual point of view on the world. And so that helps too. And these little stories, these little slice of life stories, I just started putting them on Facebook and people started liking them. And I found a tremendous almost like identity value in it because... It, it told a lot of people who who'd kind of like either forgotten that I was a writer or never even knew they were like oh I really like your writing like I like I'm a big fan and I and I it was kind of like that's flattering of course but also it was like it was just sort of surprising it, it was it was just a way of ex- it was a way of sort of like writing to exist right and it was telling these like little stories from my life and I'm talking about like 200 words if that like little vignettes yeah that usually take place because like a barista says something strange to me and we have a weird <laughs> conversation, right? Right. Uh, just like thing, things of that nature. And I was putting those on Facebook and uh, things were kind of going along just just fine for myself. Uh, for myself. But they were going along just fine, right? And I, I, I had some issues putting them on Facebook. It was a little bit challenging because people take them, people take them however they take them when it's on social media, um, but then it kind of does have these like real world consequences in, into your life. And in the middle of uh, last summer, so in the middle of the pandemic, I mostly just, I just couldn't writing. There's almost always like joyful, funny stories that tend to have a good bit of heart to them, if, if at all possible. And I just couldn't take putting them on Facebook. It was just, it, it, it was like taking something that was, I hope is beautiful or joyful or enjoyable for people and like throwing it into like a cesspit. And, <laughs> and I was just like, this like Hey, is, where's the sewage yeah. container? I'm going to take my joy and just dump it into the sewage canal. <laughs> yeah. And so I had, I had to, I had to kind of pull it away. And then what I found was, was like, yeah, okay. There's a, there's a way to sort of put them out um, through, I use a newsletter through Substack, but there are other ones. You can do anything like that, but that slowing it down, putting it in an email every Sunday and just kind of saying, Hey, this is more like appointment joy, right? Like this is, this is appointment laughs and right. uh, show up for sort of my, like my real life adventures. Um, this is, this is a better way to do that. And it was a way that kind of allowed me to kind of have a little bit of a, a distance on it. And then, you know, at the same time, like th- I think the people that I love and that I care most about, like my wife and my mom and my sister, and my and and my friends like were able to kind of 
I think, particularly like my wife and my sister, maybe breathed a little bit easier that I wasn't just sort of like, oh, I wasn't, I was never reckless with them or or anything like that, but wanting to kind of make sure that they didn't feel. I just, I felt like it could, this could just, if you keep going and putting them out just on social media, something disastrous is going to happen. And I didn't want that to happen. Right. And and I appreciate that. That's part of why I asked, because it's, I, I think anytime you're narrating from a writer's perspective, there's some element of narration because whatever's inspiring you is coming from your voice and you're giving it life in a story form. And I, I did wonder, it's like, I, I often wonder that with with authors in general is that you you know people always ask like is this based on somebody do you know blah 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 and as you're sharing these things that are just entertaining or you know something that crosses your mind as as worthy of being written down to share it does mm-hmm. unintentionally sometimes put somebody or someone in your life or a part of yourself into a caricature of sorts because you're now framing yourself in this moment or your loved ones for the entertainment of what really happened, but with a lyrical, you know, literary pen. And I didn't know if if that ever, you know, crossed into your your existence. It it crosses. It's something I think about a lot. It's just something that I think about where, you know, I, I... I always try to make myself in those stories in particular, like the true stories, I always try to make sure that like if some things will happen that I witness or be a part of where the joke is clearly on somebody else. I generally just don't write that story. Interesting. Um, mm, okay. I, 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 if it, if it happens and I, the joke is on me or the joke is on no one or the joke is on everyone, then I will write that story. And also, and so, how do I get yeah. on this email list to be able to see these stories? <laughs> Cause I oh, would love it, them on Sundays. <laughs> it's Michael Estrin, uh, uh, dot substack.com. I believe. I, I love I, it. I, I, You'll be in the show notes. Okay, so. that's true. Yeah. We're going to put all the links in there. Um, I will be signing up the minute we are not talking because my eyeballs all need all of this in my life. Um, may I ask you a few questions I like to ask all my guests? Of course. I okay. even I actually even wrote them down. You're was, so good! You, you sent them and I was like, I don't want to give crappy answers. I, I want to be thoughtful about this. You're so, so good. Let's start with the first one. Having this incredible journey to this point and and taking so many shifts and pivots and 180s, what is something you would say today to your younger self? So a couple of things. So one, I would tell my younger self, uh, nobody's watching you, right? Like mm. you're, you, you, you're, nobody's watching you. So like live your life like nobody's watching and write like nobody's watching. Because like maybe people are watching you live your life, but definitely they're not watching you write. Uh, so don't, <laughs> so, so just, you know, push that aside. Yeah. Um, so that's one thing that I would tell myself. And then another thing that I, I've thought about this a lot is I wish I had told myself uh, my younger self, that anxiety that I, cause I do suffer from anxiety or struggle with anxiety. I don't know if I suffer, but I have suffered. I yeah. try to just struggle. Um, but that I, I wish that I, somebody had told me or I told myself that, um, your anxiety is your anxiety and it's not what makes you funny, right? Like, like I, for the longest time thought, oh, I didn't know that I had anxiety. I just thought I was like, I just thought I was like quirky and strange and I and I realized like no actually like that's anxiety and you're funny but not everybody who's funny has anxiety and not everybody who has anxiety is funny right and right. you just happen to have those two things but they're different things they're right. different parts of you so I I really like that because on the one hand 
you know, I, and I don't know if this is social media era, era or not, but I think we've gotten to this place where, especially as creative people, we do innately or unintentionally filter ourselves I think at the get, like at the the moment we're starting to create, and this is to your point of like, write what you want to write. Nobody's watching. Let it out first. You can always edit later. You can always revise later. But I've, I've definitely caught myself doing this. And I do think this also plays into anxiety where it's like, oh gosh, it's not funny enough, or it didn't say it right, or I could have said it better, or what if they don't get it, or if the song doesn't have a strong enough hook, or if da 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 And I, I think we've gotten to this place where we have forgotten to allow the process to unfold by letting the thought get out first. Mm-hmm. We've now like created the thought and all the reasons why it's not the right thought in the same breath. Yeah. You know, and I, I think that's such valid advice. I also, to your second point, I... I feel very fortunate. I am not a very anxious person, typically. Um, I have definitely had my moments with anxiety, for sure. Um, but I, I think, like, in in most artists, there's something we all think we equate to whatever our brilliance or our talent is. And we somehow unintentionally stronghold these things to be you know, attached at the hip, like one does equate the other. And it's a really valuable lesson to learn. And I think for a lot of people that becomes a chemical dependence too. It's like, oh, I was the funniest when I was on X drug or if I was drunk or this or that. And you start to lose confidence in the fact that your funny or your writing or your music or your art is the thing that is inside of you. The other thing is also inside of you. That does not mean they are married together. <laughs> yeah, know? and a lot of those things are a lot of those things also are just like they come down to craft. So if you do it long enough, you have a, a toolbox of of totally. things that you know how to do. And so it's like you can you can make a joke funnier. You can make a funnier premise. You can you can come up with a better punchline. Like all of these things are actually craft work. They're not actually well. And hence what you said. You. The the final screenplay or the final product is is many editions later that yes. you know people don't see and they. And and we tend to think that someone's work is the thing that just spewed out of the brain. We don't see that they revised it or made the punchline funnier or, you know, took the time to go, how can I improve this? We just naturally assume that was the product they made. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And that's never the case. (laughs) True. Yes. It's legit never the case. <laughs> it, even if it's even if it's improv actually because they're they're doing a whole lot of, you know, preparatory work just just building that muscle, right? And so what totally. com- what comes out on stage, yes, it's organic, it's a thing that just happens in tools. front of your eyes. It's still a toolbox. It's, it's heavy tool work. It's yeah. really heavy tool work. Absolutely. Yeah. What would you say up until this point has been your career high and what do you mm-hmm. think has been a career low for you? So we talked about the the both of them actually a little bit the the low for me I think the low for me w- was actually just uh, taking the oath for the bar <laughs> <laughs> that was a real that was like I that just was think like that's a, so funny because so many people are like literally that's my pinnacle of like career high yeah and you're like yeah. oh god you have to drag me in there in my jeans and wrinkled shirt <laughs> yeah that was a low that was a low like where I was, I was just like I've just failed at everything and so that was a real low. The real high for me actually happened recently, um, and that that's March twelfth, twenty twenty one, and that was putting the book out. And the the thing about it was, is, is and I had to kind of like I was. It was a very hard day. 
to like, that's a high point in career, but a hard day, like professionally, because, yeah. you know, I had this and I were, I guess we're so uh, like cultured around instant gratification and stuff like that. You know, I'm putting this book out. Most of the people on my reading list who are buying it are buying the print copy, which means it gets mailed to them. And like, so they're not even going to get it for like three or four more days. And you're like, but I want to know what you think. <laughs> yeah. Like literally I was checking to see like, has anyone put a review up on Amazon yet? And my wife was like, it's been two hours. Like if you would just <laughs> calm down. But what I realized was it wasn't just all of the pressure of the book, but it was like, oh, but this is book one. I'm work. I literally that morning had worked on book four I have a plan to take you through like book 10. So I'm thinking like, aha, like we're, we're like giving birth to this world and we are, but it's like, it's the very, like it's the earliest to, to borrow like a, a metaphor. Like it's like, we're at, we're at like contraction number right. one, right? Like, like nothing, nothing's happened yet, right? Like for the world, a lot's happened for me, right. but nothing's happened as far as like readers of the world is concerned. And so that was a high point, but it was also one where I was like, you are getting way out over your skis here. Dude. You, need, <laughs> you need to like go for a walk. Just have I think some that's so interesting, though. I would, I, and this is this is where I, I would say I would think because I'm not in your skin. I would think that would be like it is. It's the birthing of a baby. I would think you could. That would be the moment you'd exhale and go, "It's out." Okay. But for you, it's like, yeah, but well, I, I need the response. Like, I need to know how people feel about it. I need to know what's going on in their minds. I need to know what people are reading and feeling and thinking. And are you ready for the next four? Yeah, the, the exhale started to come a little bit later as people actually started like, receiving their copies and started telling me what they thought about it. And and yeah, like that, that it was just, I wasn't, I did not set myself up for uh, a delayed response. And then I really didn't set myself up for thinking, okay, this is actually, like I had been, I'd, marketing wise, I had planned it. I was like, this is a long journey. Right. Get ready for, you know, 10 years of of just talking about these books and telling people about them. But uh, yeah, you still can kind of like trip yourself into thinking, oh, no, it's all going to happen like today. And yeah. it's like, it, it doesn't, that's not how it works. Well, and the good so. news is, much like everything else, lesson learned for book two, you're going to be like, okay, walk in the park. Hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a lot of credit to put on me. Uh, yeah. Hopefully. You're all, you're all, I don't know if that's accurate credit, but I'll take it. Thanks. <laughs> It'll it'll be more like my wife reminding me, like, "Hey, remember when you had that massive freakout? Could you know you you could have a little bit less of a freakout now?" And yeah, that would be probably where it's going. God so, bless like partners. Partners help. Yeah, you know, diminishing freakouts and and like loving partners. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah. What would you say previously has been your definition of success, and has that word meant anything to you? Changed for you over the years? Does it mean something? different now than it may have in in prior years it's changed a lot so my my early definitions of it were one in a very general sense of like just become a writer which is a, a pretty pretty broad goal which i actually i'm a big fan of of, of broad goals like because I, I think that's a good thing because you can be flexible yeah um but it but it also was very tied up with status things like uh not as much with money. Money was just sort of like around, hey, do you have enough to like support yourself? So right. that's not status. I actually think that's just like financial needs are met. Um, but it was a lot tied up around like status. And uh, that stuff I think is actually pretty empty. Um, like I just think it's, I just think it's really hollow because at the end of the day, 
if you're if you're banking on somebody else or some group of people saying you are really great at X or you're a great whatever, um, what what is that? Like, what is that going to do? Like, you like you you can't take that. You literally can't take that to the bank. <laughs> you cannot you cash it. You can't take it with you. <laughs> you can't you can't take it to the bank. But you also like you 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 can't even take it into therapy and be like, I'm okay, right? Like, you can't you can't take it anywhere, right? Like, it's a it's a it's a it's useless a currency. Yeah, yeah. It's I mean, just it's, a compliment. It's, yeah, it's nice to get a compliment and all that, but it like you can't take this anywhere. It you cannot use it to sort of like fuel your sense of self, or right. if you do. Like be prepared to break down on the side of the road somewhere. Like it's going to be really bad. <laughs> so, for me, de- the definition of success has changed, and what it comes down to for me, it's pretty simple actually. And that is, I I consider myself successful whenever somebody reads one of my stories and it impacts them. Like whether they have a good laugh or they have a cry or whatever, 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 whatever their emotional reaction is is fine. When they when it impacts them and they say they take the time to tell me about it like they hit me up on twitter or they just send me an email or whatever i'm i'm like reachable in lots of places um but when they contact me and they say like hey this i really like this this really resonated for yeah. me um or even if they just leave a comment on one of my wattpad stories um that really makes my day and makes me feel successful because at the end of the day i just think i'm the whole reason why I'm writing is actually to connect with people and, and tell stories to as many people as possible. And so when one of them, when you find out that it connects, that's huge. That's successful. So you get to, and the benefit of that is this, like you get to be successful like every day, right? Or not like, it, uh, that sounds no, but, like bragging. but it's No, but yeah. it's, it's an attainable successful because it's, it's something that it's like, it's not some grandiose pie in the sky thing. It's that you're looking, you're looking at somebody who was immediately connected to you through something that you spent time on, and for whatever reason it resonated, it hit, and that gives you that joyful. It wasn't just something in my brain. It was something in my brain that went out of my body that then resonated with someone else, and in some way made them smile, made them laugh, have an emotional reaction that changed or altered their day for the for the minute or for the moment or for the day or for the year. And it's yeah. something tangible you can go, I have positively affected someone else. That is very successful. Yeah. yeah and it, like and 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 particularly when somebody takes the time, it doesn't have to be much, but just just like write something to you, whether even if it's a tweet, you know, yeah. 200, 280 characters. That's very it's a very small thing, but if you think about it, there's the, most of the most of the reaction that like artists get, even big artists who you know just hugely famous people. If you like, if you look at their Twitter feeds, it's a lot of like you suck, right? Or like <laughs> there's a lot there's a there's a lot of just like unnecessary meanness that totally. just has no, no purpose in this world. Oh, but if, that's if, so true. if if you see that, like it's actually very rare that people just take the time to like engage with some buddy's work and then say, I want to tell you that I liked it, right? It sounds really simple. Uh, the world could use like a whole lot more of it, not just because oh, I think it's like... I hope like, everybody listening is taking notes right now. If something positively yeah. affects your life, especially with an artist, take the five seconds to go, hey, that mattered to me. Thanks so much. Yeah. And it, it's, 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 it's one of those things where it's like, it's, it's funny because it's, you know, I, I probably have had more of my work... Uh, read on the internet than anywhere else, right? So most of the time, particularly with with fiction or even my like slice of life stories, I'm not getting paid. 
you know, it, that there's, I mean, it's nice to make, sometimes I make a few bucks. I'm not like, that's not really about money. It's just about connecting with people. So hearing that it did resonate is actually everything. Um, and it, and it, it's the thing that makes you say, I want to write the next one, right? I want to write more. I and love so it. That's success, right? That's like a, a self-sustaining kind of thing. I so. love it. I couldn't agree more. I just absolutely 100,000% adore you. I have enjoyed our conversation so much today, Michael. Me too. <laughs> I, you come, bring, your whole, bring your wife, bring anybody you want. Come to Arizona. Come spend a weekend. We all need to hang out. It, we're coming. We're going. We'll go to Arizona. We'll go. Yes. We'll. We have a car and a dog, and we travel light. Other than that, so we'll go anywhere. We welcome all those things. <laughs> Please, for the people who are driving, listening to this, can you tell us? Uh, it's going to be in the show notes, obviously. But will you tell everybody where they should be following you, finding you, reading your brilliant writings of all kinds? So the so I'm on Twitter, and that my handle is Mestrin M Eskrin. So just. M E S T R I N. Uh, I'm also on Wattpad with the same handle, Meskrin. Uh, I'm on Instagram a little bit. Uh, so I'm local underscore rando because, of course, you have to be uh, different <laughs> on Instagram. And then I will pull up the on Substack. It's a little bit more complicated. I, and I do apologize for that, but this is like how I get the emails to you. So I'm michaelestrin.substack.com. And you can just find all of the old stories there. They're like archived on the web. And then you just subscribe and then you... And it's free. You just subscribe and the newsletter comes to you every Sunday with a new story. I'm doing that the minute we hang up. But The nanosecond we hang up. That's the first thing that's happening. Um, Thank you so much for being my guest. This will definitely be a two-parter because you're just so damn interesting. We just kept going and I'm so thrilled we did. Um, Awesome. I can't wait. Thank you for being my guest. You're the bestest. And I want you to come visit me and we'll make all those things happen. I love it. Let's do it. Okay. Wonderful. Have a wonderful day, my, my dear, my friend, my favorite, Michael Estrin. Thank you. Wonderful to be here. Thank you. Take care, you. Today's podcast is brought to you by one of our awesome sponsors, New Belgium. One of their beers, Voodoo Ranger IPA, is a favorite here at the Creative Convergence. Voodoo Ranger IPA is perfectly balanced with notes of guava, mango, and pineapple with a delicately bitter finish. For beer news and occasional mediocre advice, follow at Voodoo Ranger on Twitter and Instagram, where you will hear about what's new and where you can find Voodoo Ranger near you. Voodoo Ranger IPA. Drink responsibly. Live rangerously. Thank you for listening to The Creative Convergence, coming to you from Raven Sound Studio in historic downtown Prescott, Arizona. Are you a professional in the arts and would like to share your story with us or a company that would like to advertise with us? Shoot us an email at contact at ravenproductionsmedia.com. Help support the arts by becoming a Raven Productions member. To get your perk card and be the first to know about all of our upcoming promotions, events, and online programming, your membership will directly support the arts programs in our schools. Sign up today at ravenproductionsmedia.com. Until next time, be safe and enjoy the journey.